Welcome, Familia. Uh, we have a joyous morning this morning as we celebrate Mother's Day, and we begin with family dedication. Psalm 127 says that children are a gift from the Lord, an offspring a reward. And family dedication is a time where we recognize that God has given us children as a gift, and we get to enjoy those gifts, but we also have to steward them well. And so we have some families that are joining us. We're going to welcome up to the stage with us that are dedicating, uh, we're dedicating these families together today. We 
have a lot of kiddos. Awesome. Go ahead, Jenny. Morning. Family dedication is a time where these parents are committing to raise their kids to know and love Jesus. And so I want to introduce these families to you. To my right, we have Nick and Caitlin Novosad, and they are dedicating Zachary Victor. Morning, Zach. There's a smile. Sometimes we get smiles, sometimes we get crying when he heads <laughs> to the nursery. Um, so also with us, we have Owen. And we have Emmy and Maggie. Emmy just turned six years old. She just had a birthday. Um, and they are dedicating Zachary with Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you guys as you raise your kids to just know and love Jesus. To my left, we have Paul and Galena Shaliga, and they are dedicating Josephine Hope, who is 11 months old. Morning. Oh, there is kind of a smile. And they have with them Sophia and Michael, who are going to help your little sister know Jesus, aren't you guys? Awesome. They are, have chosen Colossians 1.10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, Please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. May God bless you guys as you lead your kids to lead lives that please the Lord. Brent, would you pray for them? Yeah. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the nation of Israel is called to lead and teach the, the whole family to know God together. And so as a church family, I want to like us to stand and outstretch our arms towards these families as we pray, pray a prayer, a blessing upon them. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we lift up these families to you that you would bless them and keep them. May your word be on their lips. May it be what's resounding in their homes. May your love overflow. And with these families and these children know who you are. And we pray that they would come to a saving knowledge and faith in you as well. Bless these families now. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for these families.
we so appreciate the kids' choir being able to sing after two years and celebrate them being part of our worship. Amen. Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms. And for those of us who might have some heartache around this day, we trust that God will be with you. We know that he is with us, with each heart in our joys and sorrows, no matter what this day brings for you today. Today our scripture is from Matthew, and it focuses on the birth of Jesus. And so today we are celebrating Christmas in May. We love these words that we posted for the prelude this morning. It says, My heart for very joy must leap. My lips no more can silence keep. I too must sing with joyful tongue that sweetest ancient cradle song. Glory to God in highest heaven who unto us his son has given. That's what we're thankful for this morning. Let's stand and praise God for his indescribable gift of Jesus Christ.
together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We're about to sing a song that many of you have written me notes about after singing it at various Christmas services. It's called, Who is He in Yonder Stall? And people have said how meaningful this is, not only in your own times here in worship here, but also in your times with the Lord at home. Our family also loves this song. It asks, who is this person who has done all these amazing things? And the chorus keeps coming back, it's the Lord. In one of our family devotional times, our then seven-year-old, uh, after we sing it, it keeps coming back, and she went, tis the love, and just huge went out, and so now we remember that every time we sing this song, and so I encourage us, it keeps coming back, we can celebrate together the mystery, it's the Lord, so enjoy that as we sing this together, talking through the whole part of Jesus' life. Yeah. 
seated. Lord Jesus, we do come here for Christmas in the spring, and yet we turn our eyes to you, the man, the God, the one who is on the throne, the one who came to heal and help and save. You are Lord of all. We take our crowns today and lay them at your feet that you would be the only crowned one here today, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Father, we ask that you would take this time this morning as we honor and celebrate mothers. We can't think of Christmas without thinking of a mother. And the mothers that are here and the mothers that we wish were here and the mothers that we had, and maybe the mothers that we wish we had. The ones who stepped into shoes that were made for a mom, and yet they wore them so graciously. We thank you, how you bless our lives. Through those who are, we are born to, and to those who step in. We thank you, God, today on Mother's Day. Um, Father, I, I realize that there are so many things going around. Some of us just did not have the mom that we wished we'd had. And some of us had amazing, wonderful moms. Some of us are moms today, and some of us are still waiting to be moms. God, we just bring what we are today to your throne, to your feet, with grateful hearts with sometimes waiting hearts and ask that you meet us this morning. We ask that you would meet us through the preaching of your word. We ask that you would speak through Pastor Brent, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would encourage us, and that you would show us how to leave this place and live the life you wanted for us today. And this week, we love you, Jesus. You are Lord of all. Tis you. And in your precious name, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand one more time for the reading of God's word with me? It's a way for us to come to the Lord and hear his word with reverence. Thank you. The reading today is from Matthew, starting in chapter 1 and verse 18, and we will read through uh, chapter 2 all the way through chapter uh, verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, her husband... Mm -mm. That's not true. 
because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until the, she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to Wheaton Bible Church. And for those of you who do not know who I am, uh, my name is Brent Sickle, and I am the executive pastor of ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church. And I just want to welcome uh, those of you here in person and those of you online as well. Last week, Pastor Hannibal started our series in Matthew. And today we get to continue on that story in that series and looking at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Just a reminder, uh, if you have not uh, picked up your journals yet to follow along and to take notes, I'd encourage that. Uh, I've been using mine all week in preparation for my message. And so it's a great way to, to take notes while you're here, but to also either uh, read ahead and, and, and uh, jot down what God's talking to you about or to remind you 
of what he is doing in our lives. As we look at the birth of Jesus, the question I want to begin with us today is, who is this Jesus? So go ahead, like we always do, turn to the person next to you and I want you to ask them the question, who is this Jesus? Okay, now turn the other way. Ask that same question to the other person next to you. Who is this Jesus? You see, this question has been asked all throughout history. Kings, scholars, fishermen, merchants, widows, orphans, young and old, have asked this question over and over and over again. Who is this Jesus? Because understanding who Jesus is, beginning here with his birth, will help us better understand who Jesus is throughout the rest of the book of Matthew as we travel. So as we begin to answer this question, who is this Jesus, today I want us to look at three things. I want us to look at the identity of Jesus. I want us to look at the purpose of this Jesus. And I want us to look at the response to the birth of this Jesus. We'll begin first with what is the identity of this Jesus? Well, many times when a child is born, we try to seek to identify who this child is. And uh, maybe there's some ways that we try to do that, right? Uh, maybe we look at this child and we say, hmm, who does this baby look like in our family? Does it have physical traits of the father, the mother, maybe a, a, a great uncle? Do they have the ears uh, of their grandpa? Maybe we look at maybe some characteristic traits that begin to come out as a child gets, uh, grows up. I know as a parent sometimes we, we like to see both the good, uh, but maybe not so good traits that we pass on to our children. Maybe when, you were, uh, when a child was born, their name was given to them, and there was some significance given to that name. Maybe as we look at the child, we look at their family ancestry, and we say, who were they related to? For some, it's even the legal status. Have we, uh, is this child one that we're fostering or adopting? The identity of this child is so important. I remember uh, a fun story. Uh, I know some of you have not got to meet my family yet. Uh, they will be moving here at the end of the month. But those of you who have, you know the oldest of my boys, Gavin. He is my mini-me. So he is just an 11-year-old uh, a, a version of me with bright red hair. Uh, and he looks just like me at times, especially if I wear my glasses. But I remember going to his school one day. I was going in for parent-teacher conferences. And I get there, and I'm sitting out in the hallway early. I'm waiting to meet his teachers. And his one teacher walks out in the hallway, looks at me, and turns right, right back around and goes back in the room. I'm like, hmm, this is a little weird. What's going on? Well, about a minute later, she walks back out with the other teacher, and she points at me. She goes, look, it's the adult Gavin. I laugh at that. That's not normally the way you want to be introduced to your, your children's teachers. Uh, but they love my son. But it was just, they saw the characteristics. They saw the quality. They saw who he was. And they saw that in me as well. 
And so in the same way, when we look at Jesus' identity, we need to understand who he is. Starting in Matthew chapter 1, we see, we begin to understand his identity by first seeing his title. In Matthew chapter 1, it begins that this is the story of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah, or the Christ, means the anointed one. It was a well-known prophetic reference from, Jewish, from the Jewish people regarding the deliverer of Israel. Last week when we looked at Matthew chapter 1, this title was used three times in reference to his genealogy. And so this passage that we begin with today begins in the same way, telling the story of the Messiah's birth. We also see later at the end in chapter 2 that the prophecy of the Messiah was well known uh, by the Magi, I mean by the uh, religious leaders, as the Magi inquired of Herod. And so from the very beginning, Matthew is making it clear that Jesus is the foretold Messiah. The second thing we see here in Matthew chapter 1 that regarding to his identity is we see the nature of Jesus. Throughout history, the church is focused on the virgin birth because of the wording of prophecy in Isaiah 7. That the virgin would, would bear a child. But as we look here in Matthew chapter 1, I want us to see something unique. The gospel here in Matthew stresses the miraculous conception of Jesus. And so, even though on Mother's Day it's rightly so that we look and honor Mary and her role, and she played a very important and critical role in the birth of Jesus, but Matthew places the greater emphasis on Jesus being conceived by God through the Holy Spirit. By God, through the Holy Spirit, and apart from any human father. Jesus' birth is not the primary miracle, but it's a conception that makes Jesus and his identity the God-man. You see, at Jesus' conception, he is now both fully God and fully man. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, and this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother and Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she gave birth to a son. And verse 25, but he, Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. These three verses, Matthew wants to make it clear that Jesus is fully human. He was born as a son. Mary gave birth to him. And so he is fully human. He encompasses all the form and function of humanity. Yet on the same hand, we see in verses 18, 20, and 23 that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. At the end of 18, that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. This miraculous conception is different than any other thing that's taken place in human history. 
There's been no other time where there's been both human and God in one. And so Jesus' identity is uniquely different. The other part of this miraculous conception is that its announcement comes in verse 20 by an angel. Joseph, seeing that Mary's pregnant, has a dream by an angel. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus' nature, being both fully God and fully man, is miraculous and makes his identity unique from anyone else in history. The third thing we see in Jesus' identity to understand who he is is his adoption. Yeah, you heard me right. In Matthew chapter 1, we talk about the adoption of Jesus. Joseph is the adopting father here in Matthew chapter 1, but it doesn't look like it's going to begin that way. If we look here in Matthew chapter 1, look at me here with, on verse 19. It says this, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had mind to divorce her quietly. Picture this with me. Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant as a heartbroken fiancé this is not the response that I would necessarily see coming. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. You're betrothed to be married. Your fiancé becomes pregnant and you know it's not yours. That may not be the response that you have. But we see here that Joseph was righteous and merciful. He was a faithful observer of God's law. Yet at the news of his betrothed becoming pregnant, he plans to divorce her quietly. Mary had either been seduced or violated, and yet as a righteous man, he says, yes, I need to divorce her, but I want to do it in a way that shows her mercy and love. He's the model of what it means to be righteous yet merciful, blending the submission to God's law with the compassion for others. Joseph had every right to insist on a public trial to determine the outcome of Mary. If he, if he went through with this public trial, he would not have to pay the dowry. He would not have to continue through with the pledge to be married. Yet he chose not to expose her to public disgrace. Joseph was a righteous and merciful man. Joseph still didn't understand it all, though, and we see again in verse 20, as he's confronted by the angel, the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Throughout all of Matthew's narrative, God directs people in dreams. We see this multiple times. 
And even though Joseph has righteous intentions, those righteous intentions once again are redirected by an angel of the Lord who appears to him. The angel clearly removes any suspicion of impropriety surrounding Mary's pregnancy for Joseph. And if Joseph was not a righteous man and did not know the law and was not seeking to obey God and be sensitive to his commands, he probably would not have listened to this angel. But we see here, because he is righteous and because he understands that God's plans can be different, he chooses to be obedient to God's commands, no matter how scandalous it might appear. To others. And so we see Joseph take Jesus as his own son. He did, he follows, he's obedient to his commands. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is so significant. The adoption of Jesus by Joseph establishes the legal line of succession of King David that we saw in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy. (coughs) His royal station as the Messiah of the people is certified by Joseph. In this public acknowledgement that Jesus was the child, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, is therefore grafted into the Davidic line through Joseph's legal recognition of him as his son. We see all of this fulfills the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that Israel would have a David-like king to rule the people with justice. Excuse me. Jeremiah's words rings true when we see Joseph make this thing, when he, when he adopts Jesus. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will call the Lord our righteous Savior. Jesus' title, his nature, and his adoption all clearly identify who he is from Old Testament prophecy. But if we're still in doubt to his identity of who Jesus is, God gives him two specific names here. He names him Jesus and Emmanuel. Names have meaning, right? Maybe as you were uh, having your children, you were thinking through the names you wanted to give them, right? Uh, You go to the baby name list. Maybe you try to pick uh, one that's unique. Uh, Maybe you pick one that's from your family heritage. I know when my children were born, Beth and I really enjoyed coming up with the names for our children. Uh, We we went with Irish names uh, that go along with their red hair. But we also wanted to give them names that had significant meaning to our family and to our relationship with God. 
So our oldest daughter came along, and we named her Bryn Alyssa. Alyssa is a, a derivative of my wife's name, Elizabeth, but it means pledged to God. For my son, Gavin, I wanted to name him after me, so I named him Christopher, which means Christ follower. My third son is Cade, and we gave him the middle name Daniel after my grandfather, which means God is my judge. And lastly, we got to our fourth one, and we named him Ian, which means God is gracious. If you know anything about his energy, we need that graciousness. But names have a meaning, right? Names have, <coughs> excuse me, names give purpose. And the purpose of who Jesus is can be seen through his names given to him by God. Look with me here at verses 21 and 22. It says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was the first name given by God. Jesus was a common name. It was a direct reference back to the person and story of Joshua in the Old Testament. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves or that salvation comes from Yahweh. For Jesus the Christ, we see born here in Matthew chapter 1, his name denotes his special role that he will save his people from their sins. Sin, the root cause of the fall, pain, brokenness, grief, sorrow, corruption, and disorder <coughs> all stem from sin. Jesus did not come just to bring relief to our symptoms, but to eradicate the disease of sin once for all. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sin by cleansing us in his own atoning blood on the cross, then rising from the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. He came to save us from the power of sin by putting in our hearts the sanctifying Holy Spirit. And he came to save us from the presence of sin by promising to make all things new when he returns. In the same way, the second name given to God was Emmanuel, which means God with us. <coughs> I apologize. Oh. God sent his son Jesus as the one who is both fully God and fully man as a physical representation of God in human form. Jesus was at the same time human and divine, one person having two natures without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. He possessed the divine glory and was the exact representation of God. While at the same time, in his humanness, underwent all of what mankind commonly experiences. <coughs> oh. I thought my voice would hold out. <clears throat> Matthew begins here in chapter 1 with Emmanuel, God with us, to save his people from our sins. And in 70 weeks from now, we will see once again 
than Emmanuel, God with us, in Matthew 28, as he says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So at the beginning of the gospel, we see that God is with us by supernatural conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And at the end of Matthew, we still see that he is with us and will be with us always in the heart of every believer. Thank you for those seconding my cough. <clears throat> we see that Jesus, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the ancient of days. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. He is our prophet, our priest, our king. He is our savior, the only wise God. He is our wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the Lord the Almighty, and the Good Shepherd. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the Word. He is the light of the world. He is the tree of life. He is the bread of life from heaven and the living water. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our rock, our bridegroom, our beloved, and our redeemer. He is the head over all things, which is the body, the church. But above all, he is God with us, Emmanuel. So the name Emmanuel tells us who he is, God with us. And the name Jesus tells us what he will do. He will save his people from their sins. And we must never detach who he is from what he does. His ability to do what he does derives only from who he is. It is only God, as God incarnate in human form that he could accomplish the saving work of his people. Any separation of any kind between who he is and what he does, <coughs> and we destroy the validity of what he came to do, saving us from our sins. So now we know who Jesus is, and now we know his purpose. What do we do with this information? I want us to understand that if we know who he is, and we know what Jesus has done, a response is necessary. And in chapter 2, we see the response to the birth of Jesus. As we look here to the visit of the Magi, I want us to three, see three common responses to Jesus that will be echoed throughout the book of Matthew as three common responses <coughs> that people have of Jesus through his ministry, but are also three common responses that we have of Jesus today. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod had heard about this Jesus, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and the people and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. In verse 12, having been warned in a dream 
Not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. The first response we see to knowing who Jesus is and what he has come to do is one of rejection. <coughs> when asked the question of where is this king of the Jews, Herod's response was one of antagonism. He knew he had no children that had been born to his house recently. And so he took this report of a new king as a threat to him. Even though he saw that this was a baby, he knew that babies would grow up and the idea of his kingship would grow with him. And so Herod's throne was under threat. A threat to his authority, a threat to his legacy, and a threat to his way of life. And so as we'll see next week, he sets in motion a plan to eliminate the Messiah. Herod heard about who Jesus was, yet chose to be in opposition to this Jesus. He chose to reject this Jesus. Charles Price says this, Never is such intense antagonism aroused as when an unyielding person is faced with the kingship of Christ. Herod had every opportunity to know and respond to this Jesus, and yet he chose to reject him. The second response is one we see of neglect. Verses 4 through 6, it says this, When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, thank you. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Herod asks the religious leaders who this Jesus is, and very quickly they respond. They know who he is. They point exactly in the scripture who he is. It outlines who he is. Yet when they give their answer, we hear from them no more. They were in expectation of a Messiah. And here were reports of a prophecy that fulfilled the Messiah. Yet Matthew implies they do nothing about it. They do not rejoice. They do not join the Magi. They do not go and worship him. They don't go to Bethlehem to investigate themselves. They answer the king and then leave. It's so sad. These religious leaders who were looking for the Messiah, they knew the scriptures, they knew who the Messiah was, but they did not care about the implications nor the response demanded of them when the Messiah was there. Their response was one of sheer indifference. And so they neglected the Messiah they were looking for. The third response we see, though, is one of acceptance. We see this from the Magi. Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it was in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 9, 
And after they had heard the king, they went another way, and the star they had seen went and rose before them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, these magi were wise men because they were seekers. And even though there's much speculation that's gone about about who these magi were and where did they come from and what do they bring, the Bible actually shows little interest in these details. The fact that so little information of this kind is given shows that Matthew is not interested in how many wise men there were, the length of their journey, or even much about the star. Rather, he was interested in the fact that from the very beginning of their story, Gentiles came to worship the Jewish Messiah. <laughs> you see, the Magi's response was, response was one of humble worship. As soon as they see this Jesus, they bow down in humble reverence to him. As soon as they see this Jesus, they worship him as holy God. And as soon as they see this Jesus, they give their gifts to him, confessing his kingship. Family, this is such a unique response. These men didn't grow up with the Old Testament text. They didn't know who this Jesus was, yet they sought him out. And upon seeing him and who he is and what he did, they bowed in humble worship. Even the gifts they brought, they probably didn't know what they meant. How could they? Yet even in this infancy, we see that God used these gifts to represent who he is. Gold, the medal of kings, representing his royalty. Incense, the worship of God, representing his holiness. And myrrh, the gift of death, representing his mission and purpose. These gifts, even at the birth of Christ, foretold, foretold that he was the true king our perfect high priest and the Savior to all men. These magi were Gentiles, yet they came searching for the king of the Jews. Why? Because Jesus was their king too. In the same way, Jesus is our king too. These men were wise enough to seek him even though they did not know what exactly they were seeking. These men were wise enough to learn about him when they needed to know more. And these men were wise enough to worship him when they found him. So we know who Jesus is. We know his identity. We know his purpose. What's going to be our response today? We know who he is. We know what he's done. 
Will you reject him, neglect him, or accept him as Lord and Savior of your life? Who we see Jesus from his very birth is going to continue to play out in the coming weeks as we understand who Jesus is all throughout his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. He is God with us to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before and we thank you for your word today and the opportunity to celebrate your son's birth in May. We celebrate again the Christmas story and the impact it has in setting our minds to understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man from his birth, sent with a purpose. A purpose to save all mankind from their sins. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Allow us to reflect on what our response will be. Lord, my hope and prayer is that we all would come to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. I'm going to respond with one of our favorite songs that we've been singing. It says the same thing as the song that we sang earlier, Who is He? This says, Who, uh, What child is this? This is our God and our King. Let's stand together. Light in 
announcements. Reminder, this Saturday is CareFest, May 14th. And just as the wise men gave of their gifts, we want to give of our time and treasure as well. And so we have 62 projects uh, over this weekend that we are trying to accomplish, but we are still in need of about 400 more volunteers to participate Saturday. So whether you're a first-time CareFest participant like myself, uh, or you've been participating over the last 17 years, we want to encourage you to join us. And you can either uh, sign up out in the lobby or online at our, Euro, our URL. 
Um, and make sure you grab a t-shirt on the way out to wear on Saturday so our community sees us and sees what God's hands and feet are doing uh, in the area. Second thing is just a reminder to continue, uh, one of the ways you can continue to support ministries like CareFest and others is to go online and give, whether it's at wheatonbible.org slash give, or you can place your offerings in the back of the room or checks to the office that way. The last thing is I just want to give us a benediction as we head out. The one we know from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Wheaton Bible, you are sent. Mm-hmm.